0: This picture is a great test for you to ask the question, am I really in the Kingdom of God?
1: Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We're continuing our message about what we'll look like in heaven, not just our natural versus eternal looks, but Pastor Jeff is looking deeper at what being renewed and restored to our Maker will mean for us in eternity. He also wants to encourage us to make sure we are found in God through Christ so we will be welcomed into our spiritual home. Because the Bible makes a last and final statement about our bodies and it says,
0: it will be sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body.
1: This is today with Jeff Vines, and we continue our message, What Will I Look Like in Heaven? from 1 Corinthians.
0: As we're in our living rooms or in our homes or listening, wherever we are, I want you to sit back just for a moment and let me paint this picture for you, because this picture is a great test for you to ask the question, am I really in the kingdom of God? Do I really belong here? Am I living my life in such a way? Do I hold such a worldview that is going to eventuate where when the new heavens and the new earth come, I will be part of a kingdom that is unshakable. Here's what this word means. When Jesus is praying in the garden and he is suffering enormous anxiety, he comes back and he tells the disciples, would you please watch and pray with me? So two things. He wants them to watch so that they don't fall into temptation. Jesus knows that they love him but they're also fearing for their lives and they might be forced or might be motivated to run away and abandon Jesus in his hour's need. But Jesus also needs them to pray. He wants them, his friends, to pray during this moment that Jesus is able to stay the course to achieve what God has called him to achieve. He comes back and he looks at the disciples and they're sleeping. And I think Peter and the disciples are ashamed of themselves they really want to stay awake and be there for Christ, their friend, but they're, they're weak. And it's that famous line that happens where Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does that mean? It means that in my nature, I want to do the right thing. I want to be supportive of Jesus. I, I want to stay awake, but my body and my flesh so weak, I, I have a hard time staying awake. My body struggles to do what is right and what is good and honorable. Now, Does that resonate with anybody? Isn't it true that in your spirit, you want to do the good? The apostle Paul said, I want to do what's right. But he said, there's another dynamic working in my flesh. The sin in me wants to do what is wrong. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. And he said, I long to have a flesh that is in harmony with the spirit so that what I want to do, my flesh is able to do. Where the spirit is willing and the flesh is able. Someone has written, my passion to do the right thing has very little to do with unholy emotions that stir within me. Right now on planet earth, we are constantly forced into this battle between the mind, the spirit, and the flesh. We want to know the good. We want to do the good. We believe in the good, but the flesh desires something totally different. And we're told in scripture that our lives here are going to be this constant battle Between what we want to do, inherently what we want to do, and the battle of the flesh so that the Bible puts it in these terms. We have a redeemed spirit incarcerated in the flesh. We're trapped in our bodies. Now, the Bible teaches us that in heaven, perhaps the greatest attribute of the new body is that this body will be able to do what the spirit desires. Now, If you think about that, to some degree, that answers the question, will there be free will in heaven? Because first, the new body will not conflict with the spirit. So the new flesh will be able to do what the spirit desires. It'll work in harmony. The second aspect of that is that in heaven, we're told that the spirit would have gained full knowledge. And because it has full knowledge of the ramification of all sin. Now we have a body that is capable of cooperating with what the Spirit knows and wants to do. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we're told, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am fully known. So the question is, if I could see clearly the full ramifications of all my sinful desires, and I now have a body that is capable, a glorified body, that is capable of working in complete harmony with the Spirit, would I still sin? That's the question. I don't think we have the full answer to that. But I do think at least we can have a hint of what it means to be raised in glory, to be raised in righteousness. Now, let's keep going. If this is good news to you, that one day the body that you will have will be in consistent harmony with the spirit and the body will be able to do what the spirit desires. If that is good news to you, that says something about you. It says that right now you are passionately pursuing God. You are desperately wanting to model to the world what the temple of God looks like in physical form. It means that what discipline and purity and holiness looks like you're interested in. It means that holiness is important to you. (laughs) It means there's a real struggle and you've not given up because you know that this is the way God intended you to live. So it concerns me when I hear some Christians make statements like this. Well, you know, this is the way I am and God understands that. Or, you know, I'm holy in other areas. This is just my one weakness or addiction. Well, God understands me. And there's really nothing I can do about this. After all, I am in the flesh. Didn't Paul say, why do I do the thing I don't want to do? Well, that's me too. Why do I do the thing I, want to, I don't want to do? So there's a lack of shame. There's a lack of sadness. There's a lack of effort. There's an absence of a longing for a holiness. Remember how Paul ends that chapter in Romans 7. Remember what the Bible says. Sure, Paul says, why do I do the thing I don't want to do? But he ends by saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What does he mean? He means there are two senses of redemption. The first is when the spirit of God, Jesus lives in you. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, which means if you throw up the red flag and forgive, You are denouncing the power and the presence of Jesus in your body. But second, it also means that you're not looking forward to what will one day be. So we are sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Stay with me, almost done here. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory, and then third. And I believe the third one is a setup for the finality. So I don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but it says that we're sown in weakness, raised in power. The Greek word is asthenia, which means infirmity or illness. But when it's Juxtapositioned with dunamis, which is the word for power, it is a reference rather to humility. What kind of humility? Second Corinthians 13. For though he was crucified in weakness, wait a minute, Jesus had weakness? Yes, the weakness of humility. Yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak. We're weak in Christ, yes. We're weak because we came to the cross and we humbled ourselves and we gave up power and control of our lives but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now, here's what that means. When we came to Christ on the cross, we gave up control. We gave up being the captain of our ship and we submitted to God in all things, in our resources, in our time, and our talents, in our very lives. So that means presently in this bodily form, we live humble lives. We have given up all of our rights to God. And if so, we will even give up our very lives. And that also means that we, like Christ, because we have humbled ourselves, will be given a position. The Bible says, do not be weary in doing good for at the right time you will be lifted up. Now, before I move on to the finality here, let's let's ask a question. People keep asking me in this season, why has God allowed the coronavirus? Okay, that is a, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, but I think there's one aspect of this that we need to consider right here. In order to answer that question or begin to even understand it, what is the ultimate goal of your life? Think about it. You got all kinds of, uh, of things that you're pursuing, but what is the ultimate goal for your life? And shouldn't the ultimate goal of your life be the same as God's ultimate goal for your life? Now that you're a Christ follower, your greatest desire should be consistent and in harmony with God's greatest desire for you. God's greatest desire for you is to spend eternity in heaven with him in a relationship where no barriers exist. Remember we said that a Christian desires heaven in the same way a lover desires marriage. This is not about a shopping spree for us. This is about being with the one that we love who has given everything to us so that he would not lose us. So if God's ultimate goal for all humanity is that we would spend eternity in heaven with him, that means that God can use us in whatever way he desires to achieve the ultimate objective. Now, I'm not saying that God sent the coronavirus. I'm simply saying that sometimes God allows atrocities on planet earth that we might be awakened to how temporary this world is in order that we might place our faith in what is yet to come, an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken by any disease. You see? So no one has the mind to fathom what God causes and allows. You know, someone will say to me, and I've had this question thrown at me numerous times, Pastor Jeff, why is it? that if I see someone being murdered and I don't step in to stop it, that I am a criminal, but God who has the power to stop someone dying and he steps aside and doesn't stop it, why isn't it criminal activity for him? One simple reason. Number one, God owns everything. He created everything. Everything belongs to him. He's the owner. But two, and more importantly, God can recover. You can't. If you don't step in, you can't give life again, but God can allow life to be lost and recover it to a greater degree. We've said that numerous times. There's nothing that world can take from you that God can't recover and replace in it to an infinitely greater degree. Therefore, God has the sovereign right to do as do with life as he pleases because only he can restore it. Now, how does this relate to weakness and power, those of us who have humbled ourselves realize that, that we belong to God. And those of us who have humbled ourselves will say to God, God, here I am, send me, do with me whatever you need to do to achieve your ultimate objective, to help people far from God come near. So that we may hear in Matthew 25 when Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of the Lord. So, that heaven is based upon faithfulness, not results. Were you faithful with the life and everything God gave you? And if you were, God says that's a byproduct of you humbling yourself at the cross, and one day I'm gonna raise you up. You're gonna be lifted up into the power of the Son of God.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. As Pastor Jeff brings this message about what will look like in heaven to a close, He's speaking from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about our natural bodies versus our spiritual bodies.
0: Now, all of that's a setup for finality because the Bible makes a last and final statement about our bodies. And it says, it will be sown a natural body and raised the spiritual body. Now I want you to notice something as we close our time here. Both are bodies. One's a natural body. Uh, the Greek word is uh, uh Actually, it's the word from which we get our uh, concept of physics. So the natural body is limited to the physical world, to physics, gravity, things like that, okay? We are sown a physical body. We are raised a spiritual body, but it's still a body. It's a spiritual, uh, pneuma Uh, which is a word that means really not limited to the physical sphere. Now, what's he getting at here? Oh, this is beautiful. Right now, we're limited by time and space and the law of gravity. We'll never see the vastness of the constellations. There's so much we don't know we'll never traverse. We can't even go to the very depths of the ocean. We can go so far, but there are places on this planet our physical limitations mean that we will never see it or experience them. But the new body that we will be given will be a spiritual body that is no longer subject to the laws of nature. What does all that mean? Well, guys, it's the best news ever. It means that we won't be limited by gravity. We we can visit the wonders of nature that have never before been accessible to us. It means that in a way, we can... Use the created order as it works in full cooperation with us to experience the fullness of God's creative capacity. (laughs) To make sure we understand it, the Bible goes on in the same passage in verse 45. And this is the the clincher here. He says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual... The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is from the Lord, from heaven. As was the man of dust, that's Adam, so also are those who are made of dust, that's us. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of man, of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now stay with me, man. You, uh, look, enjoy the last part of this. Because what we're being told is if you want to know what our bodies are going to be like in heaven take a look at what Jesus body was like after the resurrection. So in Philippians 3 the writer says our citizenship is in heaven from which we are eagerly wait or from which we also eagerly wait for a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The word transform is the word schematic. Schematic is the internal design of something. So we're told that the internal design of Jesus' glorified body after the resurrection, we're gonna be given that same schematic. Our design will conform to a great degree, not limited to, but to a great degree to the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's have some fun. What did Jesus' body look like after the resurrection? Well, in Acts chapter one, he just kind of ascends right up into the clouds. He told the disciples to wait. He gives them the information. And it's like he's on a cloud elevator. He's not limited by gravity. He just goes where he wants to go. He steps into time and space and then steps back out of it. In John chapter 21, he's walking on the shore after the disciples have been fishing all night and they come ashore. They're doubting that it's really Jesus. And Jesus says to them, now notice this, this is in his resurrected glorified form. He says, touch my hands and my feet. In other words, I'm not a spirit. You're not seeing an hallucination. I have a body that's been healed and glorified. And then he says, I notice you guys are, cooking some meat and you got a little honey there. I'd like some meat and honey. So in his resurrected glorified form, Jesus eats broiled fish and honeycomb. I've often thought, why does Luke think it important to show us that Jesus ate? Because in heaven, we're gonna eat. Not because we have to, but for the sheer pleasure of it. Jesus stood on a mountain and took a cloud elevator. Jesus walked and talked and he said, fill my hands and my feet and touch my side. Although Jesus was different, from the way he was the first time because that might explain why when he was walking with two men on the road to Emmaus, they kind of knew something was up, but there was just enough difference for them not to recognize. But finally, when they looked closer, they knew this was the same Jesus. Jesus after the resurrection is the best picture of what you and I are going to be like in heaven. Not up there, consolation, but when this is restored here. Someone has said, we will have a body fit for the full life of God to dwell and fully express itself forever. It can eat, but does not need to. It can fly through space and go through walls with no time limit or age limit. It is exalted to all that God has in mind from the creation potential and is ultimately satisfied. It knows no pain, tears, sorrow, no sickness, no death, a body of splendor that shines like the moon and the stars. So if you're still struggling And you think that heaven is too fantastical. Your real struggle is not with heaven, it's with God. So if I could list it for you then, what will we be like in heaven? We will have bodies. Look at the list. We will have bodies. We will know each other. We will be distinct from each other. We will be able and willing to please God and one another. We will no longer be tainted by sin and death. We will possess an unending joy and thirst for life. The creation will be liberated from bondage and brought into the freedom of the children of God. No longer fearing the created order, we will be in harmony with all that God has made. The lion will lay down with the lamb and so will I. The well and I will swim together. It will be the snorkeling trip of a lifetime and I won't be limited by physics. I won't have to come up for air. I will travel and traverse the galaxies without limitation. Perhaps this is the purpose of space, that God wants you to know there's so much out there you've not seen, but one day you will see what no eye has seen nor ear has heard. And what a banquet table we will have. We'll eat, not because we have to, but for the sheer enjoyment of it. And you know what this means? It means that vegetarians can eat meat again. Now, I know I'm going to get some emails from this, but come on, let's have a little fun. In heaven, man, we'll eat what we want. Not because we have to, but for the sheer enjoyment, which means I can have all the bananas and watermelon, two of my favorite things to eat that I want. I can have chocolate and coffee and all the rest of it. And our theme song in heaven, other than you are wonderful, you are marvelous God, will be the James Brown song, I feel good, and I knew that I would. And that place that I'm talking about, this is only a small picture of what will one day be. So everything that I've told you, the Bible says, take it, know it, but now imagine it to an infinitely greater degree and you're still only scratching the surface of what God has prepared. C.S. Lewis says, and this is why we know that this place is real, even though sometimes our mind begins to wonder or doubt. C.S. Lewis says, you know, if we complain of time the way humans do and take such joy in the seemingly timeless moments, What does that suggest? It suggests that we have not always been or will not always be purely temporal creatures. It suggests that we were created for eternity. Not only are we harried by time, we seem unable, despite a thousand generations, to get used to it. We are always amazed by it how fast it goes, how slowly it goes, how much of it is gone. Where we cry, Has the time gone? We aren't adapted to it. We're not at home in this. And if that is so, it may appear as proof, says Lewis, or at least a powerful suggestion that eternity exists and is our home. It's where we belong. And it's to this home Jesus calls us. And if we can even start to imagine what we will be like in the new heaven and the new earth, if we can imagine somehow it will be even infinitely more than all we could ever ask for, hope for, or imagine, that will be a starter to realize how it is we can live lives of courage, of fearlessness, knowing that our hope and security isn't in the here and now. We make this world better because God has called us to do so that they may see the hope that is in within, within us and may yearn for the kingdom that we know is real. Father, I thank you and praise you for all your mercy and goodness. You are the God who's created so many beautiful things. Your creative capacity has already been demonstrated. We can't imagine what it will be like when it's not tainted by sin and death. Help us to live lives that are consistent with the calling and the hope And as we mourn, we do not do so without hope and future. For those who have gone before us, pave the way. And one day we will be reunited with all those we have lost. And it will truly be the greatest reunion known to man. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
1: For joining us on today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of what will look like from our Heaven series. Join us next time for another message in this series from Pastor Jeff. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.